Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, WestminsterFX.com. You know how it goes. You can also join it in the discussion, the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Make sure you support the show at Anchor. Even a dollar a month helps out. Subscribe and comment. You know how. You, you know what we say all the time if you're old to the show. If you're new to the show, you don't know what's going on. Uh, so in person, we have, as usual, it's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church, Greer, South Carolina, and officially now person who's been on a meme who's been on a meme and the meme was particularly relevant well first off we are missing westminster effects artists cheap marketing officer and occasional sexy boat captain john ross in lincoln nebraska he had some work stuff pop up but the meme was particularly relevant (laughs) yes because of the situation that we're going to talk about today and so do you want to explain the meme that you were a part of from Matt Paragoy in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge? Well, I, I try. Thank you, Matt, for doing that. It's like <laughs> it's such an honor. And, and I feel like I've won a Grammy or something. Yeah. I'm, I'm on a meme. But. You pretty much have. So it's this, he found an old picture of me, I assume, on my Facebook page. Yeah. Um, and layered on top of it a picture of a Vox amp. Yes. And just left it there. And I looked at that. Everybody's laughing. And I'm going, I'm you've, so out of the loop. Heard I heard of Elf on the Shelf. I don't know what this means. Oh, that's right. You've yeah. heard of Elf on the Shelf. And Get so ready I'm for going, it. What, what is this? And I just could. And then I think it was a lady in our church said, Oh, Vox on Cox. Yeah. And I was like, That's hilarious. Yeah. And speaking of Vox, anyone who uh, keeps up with uh, Westminster effects knows that I got a cease and desist email from from Vox Amplification and their parent company, Korg. I did not, I had forgotten that Korg actually owns Vox now. I didn't know that. No. Um, so Korg of, obviously, Korg Synthesizers and Roland and Boss also owns Vox and some other companies that aren't coming to me right now. But apparently, and I, and I will own this, unlike the Chick-fil-A situation <laughs> where I still think I was covered by satire law. <laughs> But uh, apparently Vox has uh, trademarked that grill cloth pattern. (laughs) (laughs) Which was on your pedal. Which was on my pedal. And I was making it obvious, hey, this is a grill cloth because I'm emulating a Vox AC30. And even the lawyer said, you know, it's it's completely fair game if, if in your description you say, this is meant to sound like a Vox AC30. Like, I can say that, but they said... Uh, basically it can lead to confusion. <laughs> and my lawyer said, that's because trademark laws for stupid people. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> right, not, right, right. It's not for uh, normal, reasonable people. Um, so I will, I will own that. And the artwork has been changed. And I actually think it might look a little more streamlined. Very so, good. So it all worked out in the end. Uh, I won't get sued. Um, but, I mean, that, that kind of brings up the question, well, what about Christians and lawsuits? Right. I don't think we've actually, even though I had the situation with Chick-fil-A a year two years ago now, um, even though I had that situation, I don't think we got into properly talking about 
well, what about Christians and lawsuits? Is that a thing? Should we sue each other? Should Christians be involved in that kind of thing uh, with non-Christians or what? There, there's a pretty vast array of directions you can take that, right? Yes, you could. I mean, I, I, I struggle to think even where to start with it all. I mean, the first thought that comes to mind is to just say that the Bible is pro-legal authority. Uh, yes. It's pro-governmental authority. And, and as we've talked about in previous episodes, that we're called to submit to governing authorities. And mm-hmm. uh, they, they serve a purpose to restrain evil and promote good. Um, and... I also think that the Bible is pro-Christians taking every legal advantage they can in order to resolve legal issues, criminal issues, uh, those kinds of things. It's not wrong. Uh, Certainly, God hates divorce. Right. Sometimes divorce happens. Right. And I don't think it's a sin the divorce might be a sin or, or might have sin involved in it. In fact, I I would struggle to think of a reason where divorce happens and there's no sin involved on one side or the other either way. Right. Um, but for a, a Christian to hire an attorney in a divorce proceeding or in a dispute over property mm-hmm. or a business dispute of some kind is not a sin in and of itself. I don't think the Bible... Uh, we can make a case anywhere from Scripture that that is in and of itself sinful. We, You mentioned this before we started recording, and I think we brought it up when we had uh, Gabe. Yep, Gabe on, Rich. Gabe yep. Rich was on, is that you know the Apostle Paul, when he was arrested in Jerusalem and was about to be flogged, mm-hmm. appealed to his Roman citizenship yep. in order to avoid that flogging. And so there, I think, is an example of the apostle taking advantage of a legal, um, I, I wouldn't call it a loophole, but just mm-hmm. a legal reality um, that I, I don't think was sinful. I don't think he was trying to avoid um, just punishment in that case. Mm-hmm. He certainly wasn't, but he right. was he was taking advantage of his Roman citizenship. So I think, biblically speaking, we could start by saying that it is not wrong, it is not a sin to take advantage of legal resources, i.e. lawyers and, and laws and the courts and judges in order to settle certain disputes. But it, but as with anything, mm-hmm. it could be sinful. Right, especially depending on how you go about it. That's right. You know, Paul also talked about, isn't it better for you to just be wronged rather than to mm-hmm. sue? And he's talking specifically about lawsuits in the body of Christ right. over what I would understand to be just uh, somewhat trivial or not trivial, but but uh, just d- unnecessary, unhelpful disputes that really mm-hmm. uh, are tearing the church apart. Right. He would say, look, it's just better to be wrong than mm-hmm. be divided as brothers and sisters in the body of and, Christ. And then on top of that, make your witness or tarnish your witness publicly Mm -hmm. because, because you have to go in front of a a judge if you're going to do that. Like you're, you're going to have to go out in public and that be on public record. You know, person a in this church had this dispute with person B and they couldn't settle it within, in the bounds of the church. Mm -hmm. And if I remember correctly in first Corinthians six, it talks about, uh, basically trivial matters, right? Um, 
Like you really, you're you're new creations in Christ, and you couldn't you couldn't settle this. Yeah, <laughs> like that's yeah. kind of the tone of it. Well, and and I'll say this publicly because um, it, it's on public record, and there's no reason for me to not talk about it publicly. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it there's biblical basis for the church to say that's not right. Is that there's a church here in town uh, that was started. I don't know, 25 years ago um, by a man that I know. Um, uh, it's, it was called Redemption World Outreach Center mm-hmm. and pastored by a guy named Ron Carpenter Jr. Right. And uh, grew into a very, very large mega church here in town. And I did not know that you knew him. Yeah, I knew him. I, I, I you know, he went to Emmanuel College where I went. Oh, and, okay. Um, he actually, he's older than me, but he, he was there with uh, one of my cousins, and mm-hmm. uh, so just over the years, I've run into him here and there, and yeah. I've known him. The, but, the degrees of separation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, he decided, there's, there's a whole backstory, but he decided to move to California and take mm-hmm. a church in California, a, another mega church. Right. And he turned his church over to one John Gray, who mm-hmm. many know is coming out of Joel Osteen's church. And when he turned his church over, along with it, a, a, a substantial piece of property and yeah. buildings, real estate, like um, tons of buildings and tons of buildings just, and lots and lots and lots of people. It's, it's an impressive facility. Yeah. Well, well, within that whole, uh, I'm going to call it a turning over of a church. Yeah. Yeah. What has come out via lawsuits that the so here now, 18 months later. The two churches, which I do believe I've heard have now settled, which I'm glad to hear mm-hmm. that. But there was a huge legal dispute that went on for months over buyouts, retirement packages, mm-hmm. how exactly the properties were being handled, the lease agreement, and all that kind of stuff, which I understand is complicated. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like that's a blight on the body of Christ because, right. you know, the turning over of a church is not a business deal, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, maybe some might say that I'm I'm talking about that from the cheap seats because I've never been through that in one sense, but at least not with something that large scale. But I just felt like that that dispute, um, while it while it may have been necessary because they couldn't come to an agreement and um, legally, and there's so much property and money involved, I just felt like that was a blight on the body of Christ and something that could have and should have been handled. Um, through Christian mediation. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had a friend of mine that said that it's just that whole situation was just a zit on the face of Christianity <laughs> because it got so much publicity. That's right? a great way to put it. And, and, and that's without saying that uh, the other scandals that have been involved with those two churches. Tons of scandals. Leading yeah. up to that. Exactly. And then all of this happened, and it's just like, mm. come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Exactly. I, I just, I don't. I, I don't being in lawsuits. Um, I mean, my dad, my dad is a businessman. Um, he's in the latter years of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was growing up, I mean, my dad was a software developer and, and then became a venture capitalist for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I watched him buy and sell businesses several times. And, um, I even, you know, I, there was a there was a period of my life where I was exploring going into the business world because that's what my dad did. I mean, who right. doesn't at least consider following in the footsteps of their father? 
And uh, so he let me sit in some of the board meetings and uh, even some of the negotiations, contract negotiations, buyouts and other things. And Mm -hmm. I got to sit and watch. And it's amazing what happens to people when money's put on the table. Oh, yeah. People that that you would even call friends. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden, there's lots and lots of money on the table. And who's getting what? Yeah. And but that's the way the world works. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think the body of Christ, there is while again, I do think the Bible is pro legal resource and taking advantage of those resources legally. Um, At the same time, I do think we as Christians are held to some level of higher standard, particularly when it comes to how we relate to one another in the church. Right. And and. Not a lot of people uh, that listen to the podcast know this, but I have actually been involved in a lawsuit, like actually filing a lawsuit yeah. against a company that wrongfully fired me. Mm-hmm. When uh, so I, I worked at a restaurant, and you know I'll, I'll leave their name out of it, but um, the the head chef was like, "All right, this Sunday we're all going to come in and uh, volunteer and deep clean the kitchen, so off the clock for free." And it was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and several conversations later, I was out of a job. And, you know, we settled out of court. But, you know, you have multiple layers of <laughs> illegality going on right. there, even up to the 14th Amendment. <laughs> right, right, right. Of uh, of uh, forced labor and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, which which kind of gets into uh, the difference between, you know, a, a sin and a crime or mm-hmm. a Every crime should also be a sin, right? Mm-hmm. There, we understand that there are things that are called crimes in our society that definitely are not sins because mm-hmm. those laws shouldn't exist, right? Um, but sin is basically, you know, doing things that simply don't glorify God and aren't loving to your neighbor, mm-hmm. whereas criminal behavior are that but it also ends up harming your neighbor mm-hmm. in a in a i guess you could say even in a material fashion i'm just yeah. kind of coming up with that off the top of my head does, does that seem kind of uh does that kind of line up yeah i think so i think so um all crimes are sin but not well most, all, mo- most not crimes. all sins are crimes not all sins are crimes. Maybe we should leave it at that. Right. Um, it should be that all crimes are also sins. But it's not always the case because right. government doesn't always get it right. Right. Um, but not all sins are criminal. Um, yep. But that doesn't mean that within the church, um, I, I think what Paul, I'm trying to think of, uh, come up with an example of what I think Paul intended for the church when he said it would be better for you to be wronged. Um, so in that case, he's obviously talking about a sin against a brother or sister that does have legal implications. Right. That in Paul's mind, he felt like wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there, there is a, and I, I, we'd have to say that's a gray area. We'd have to say that this requires discernment because I'm not willing to say that there aren't some instances where even within the body of Christ, right, it would be right for a Christian to take advantage of legal opportunities and resources in order to protect their home, their mm-hmm. property, their livelihood, et cetera. 
and I could actually think of one pretty immediately is, you know, we've, we're two years after a renovation project. I don't know if the construction company was owned by Christians or not, but just for the sake of argument, say they are, they tell us it's going to be this amount of money and we totally know it's going to be safe. And then once they're done with the renovations, the building caves in. Exactly. Like or, or they, they would be legally responsible. Here's an even better thing. We do a renovation and there's a, a general contractor and a host of subcontractors. Mm-hmm. And let's say that one of those subcontractors subcontractors is someone who's a member of our church. Yep. And that member of the church doesn't doesn't meet all of the contractual obligations. Right. And we go to that member of the church and we say, look, we paid you for this and you only did this or you didn't finish this. Mm -hmm. And that church member says, okay, well, forget you. I I did what I want to do and I'm not. So there's a sin issue there and a legal issue where the church might decide to take legal advantage. Right. But if if that person in the church, and this is not the only example of, of, uh, of what I think Paul is talking about, but if that member of the church said, look, I'm sorry, uh, my business is struggling, mm-hmm. and I know I messed up, but I don't have the resources to make up for it, mm-hmm. that might be a case where we go, you know what, it's better to be wronged yep. than further cause it, further pain and anguish uh, in a relationship and on a brother. And it may end up even in the first situation where the that member is like, forget you, I'm just going to bounce, go to another church. Mm-hmm. It could be better to just let that go. Let it go. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast or not, but, you know, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, I bought a piece of property. I was doing real estate. Mm-hmm. And I bought it with two other uh, real estate agents that um, I was working with in a particular neighborhood trying to sell some homes. We bought this piece of property, and we had a plan to flip it and make a substantial amount of money. Yep. Well, this happened right before the recession, and when the recession hit, we couldn't sell the property, mm-hmm. and so we were all three of us were just bleeding money, right? Trying to trying to make the payments on it until we could sell it and get out mm-hmm. from under it. Well, my other two partners were way over leveraged in a host of other real estate deals. Oh boy, this was the only one I had. Uh, and they just bailed. They quit making their portion of the payment. Mm. Uh, they wouldn't return my phone calls or the bank's phone calls. And um, whether or not these two were believers, I'm not sure. But uh, I was I was hot. And I remember right. sitting in my office here at the church because I was bivocational. Mm-hmm. And I wrote them this long email. And I called them everything short of what our culture would call cuss words <laughs> yeah. in that email. I was so mad because I just couldn't believe, you know, I, I was raised by a dad who, you know, he wasn't perfect. But if he taught me one thing, it was you do the right thing. You, right. you fulfill your obligations. You pay your debts. You finish a job you commit to. Yep. And that was just so ingrained in me. It still is that I just could not get my mind around the fact that these two would just bail. Mm-hmm. They would tuck tail and run. Yep. That goes er- that goes against everything in my character, you know. Mm-hmm. So I wrote them this long email and I remember I was you know reaching to click send and I felt the Lord say to me, "Let it go." Mm-hmm. Let it go. And I wrestled with that for a while. 
but I did let it go. And there, there, it was, there, there was such a freedom that came from me for, for me when I just obeyed the Lord and said, you know what, in this case, and I'm not saying that, um, in every case it would have been wrong to take advantage of legal resource and in, in, in that, but I felt the Lord say, let it go. And I remember driving to the bank that owned the property in Spartanburg, mm-hmm. uh, not knowing what I was going to do or say with them. And I, I walked in, sat down in, in the, you know, an office there of the powers that be. And I just said to them, I said, look, I've got a wife, two kids, a house, and two cars. I don't have a country club membership. I don't have a boat. Mm-hmm. I don't own a vacation home. I pastor a church, and I do real estate on the side. And I said, I can make my portion of the payment, but I cannot make up for my partners who have bailed and run, and I don't know what to do. Yep. And there was a little house on the property uh, that was kind of run down. It was seven acres, and... Those bankers looked at me and said, all right, if you tear that house down, because they didn't want the, you know, the liability of having a structure on a property that they were taking back. They said, if you will tear that house down, which cost me about Mm -hmm. $4,000, we'll let you out of this debt, $285,000. And uh, (laughs) they let let me walk. Yeah. It never went against my credit. Um, And I was so thankful. I mean, I still... In addition to the money I had lost in the months previous, I lost another four thousand dollars. But and I learned a lot of good lessons from that. (laughs) I learned about bad business deals. I learned about bad business partnerships, and I learned about forgiveness. Right. I really did. The Lord taught me something about forgiveness and how you know the Bible talks about forgiveness in in the terms of canceled debt. Right. And I, that whole scenario taught me something about what it means to forgive as I've been forgiven. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, I'm not, uh, my, my prefaces about taking legal advantage, you know, you, I've already said that, but I do think there are times when the Lord just calls us to cancel debt, like he's canceled ours. And um, that was a, that was a huge learning experience for me. And even, even within like if legal, proceedings are pursued i'm reminded of uh was it the michigan state gymnastics coach who molested all those girls for Mm. so long yep yep and uh and rightly the book was thrown at him Mm -hmm. um but within the sentencing hearing i don't remember her name but there was one of his former gymnasts who just outright gave him the gospel told him that she forgave him. Yep. And yeah. and even even though like rightfully that sentence should be carried out. That shouldn't be something that should just be dropped. That's right. By any stretch. Uh but the the grace extended to him within that is powerful. Exactly. Right? And which you raise a good point there too is that even when we are on good biblical footing and good moral footing to appeal to legal authority. Mm-hmm. Never are we given permission to hold on to bitterness. Right. Um, never are we given, never is it right to walk in unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. We're always called to do that. And, and I'm reminded of 
you know, we, we often think of, you know, the 1500s as like this backward time when they killed all the heretics and all that. And, mm-hmm. and obviously we would disagree with setting heretics on fire and stuff like that. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> I was about to say. Um, but at the same time, whenever someone was executed, um, like they would be praying for that person. Like yeah. they they would send you know if they were a Catholic uh, country they would send a priest in for confession like they they even though they were executing this person they still cared about that person's soul yeah where so often now like even though we're if somebody gets executed maybe fifteen years after they've been convicted it's by lethal injection but whether it's cancel culture or you get sent to prison for five years or whatever. And I have my own issues with that in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, there's so much vitriol of, yeah, you're getting what you deserve, you know, screw Mm -hmm. off (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as opposed to there's something like you're actually headed somewhere and you're going to meet your maker. Yeah. 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 I, that's huge. And, um, you know, it's, it's been said and it's kind of cliche, but you know, you, you, you don't you don't pursue forgiveness uh, and reconciliation. It's it's like drinking poison, hoping somebody else dies. Yeah, you know, and it, it's poisonous for your soul. And so, yeah, I think um, I think you know, endeavoring to walk in forgiveness, letting forgiveness maybe be your first thought, right, before you pursue legal advantage, um, and just be prayerful about it, be thoughtful about it, you know. Um, do what's right you know it's like you know charles stanley i heard say it's you know do what's right and trust god with the consequences um that's really the um i think the standard for us i can dig it let's leave it there then because i think man we that conversation took a turn i wasn't really expecting but i'm not complaining about it all right inquisition sure And this is the Inquisition, where you, the listener, submit questions in a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. And as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who asks, what is your favorite work of music? Hmm. Which is, like, by work, does he mean album? Does he mean song? And when you say work of music... Well, that leads me to believe that it probably needs to be classical. <laughs> well, that's where my mind went first. Right? Because, um, like, my favorite album, and this will just totally date me with me being an emo kid, is Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by My Chemical Romance. <laughs> um, it's just a fantastic album. I don't yeah. care what anybody says. Yeah. But in terms of, like, actually composed like not rock band type of stuff, but compose stuff. One, I'm a sucker for the Skyrim soundtrack. <laughs> okay. 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 But two, basically anything John Williams does. Yeah. Uh, the, the Star Wars composer, among yeah. other things, but most known for Star Wars. Yeah. Like the, the guy just captures uh, moods and themes, like mm-hmm. overall themes, like how the force theme keeps coming back mm-hmm. or the empire theme keeps coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it'd be really, really hard for me to pick a favorite album. Um, I just, I don't know. It's like, I, f- I feel, I feel, um, indecisive about committing yeah. to a favorite yeah. album, but I will say it in terms of my, the first thought I had when, you know, you hear work of music mm-hmm. 
is Handel's Messiah. Yes. Because for several reasons. One, it's incredible. Two, it's God-glorifying. Yep. Uh, and three, mine and Mary's first date, first date. All right. Was to see Robert Shaw direct Handel's Messiah in Atlanta. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, it was like we we had just started to like get to the point where okay, I'm probably going to date this girl, right? Yeah. And we were on tour uh, with that group from our college. We were, I remember, we were on a bus coming back from a, a church we had sang at. Uh, it's late at night, probably one o'clock in the morning, and I'm sitting beside Mary, and we're just talking. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's that some of that flirtatious talk, right? Like yep. you know what I'm talking about. And uh, we just started talking about our love for music. And even our love, we we both really appreciate classical music and what have you. And I said, well, what if I took you to a symphony? Uh, she's like, yes. <laughs> and so I go, I go research. And, and I, that's when you knew. That's when I knew. And so at, uh, in Christmas of 97, I took her to see Handel's Messiah. 97. And she wore a long black velvet dress that was just amazing. And I armor all the tires on my mom. Pearl, <laughs> Pearl White, Lincoln Continental. Yes. We stopped at the Red Lobster in Gwinnett and ate dinner and then went <laughs> and then went to see Handel's Messiah. And it was freaking awesome. And I knew then, like, this is uh, you had me until Red Lobster. Yeah, I know. I, I, to this day, I regret that as decision. that uh, as that piece of wisdom. The movie Barbershop says yeah, lobster, or Red Lobster is the Shoney's of seafood. It so is, and I don't know to this day why I chose Red Lobster, but maybe it was because that's all I could afford after yeah, buying fair. those tickets. That's but. entirely fair. Oh, next question. Bradley, you're going to get a kick out of this one. Drew Smizer asks, when I'm going to make a Bradley Cox signature pedal that just makes it sound like I'm like you're strumming way too hard. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Who asked that question? Drew Smizer. Drew, I like you, man. So also known as the Gear Dad, he's done some fantastic Westminster Effects demos. Yeah, I guess it would be just like a clean boost without a knob, and it immediately goes to like 30 decibels. <laughs> <laughs> like even even uh last saturday when we were doing the rehearsal for uh christmas eve and <laughs> i you was on the piano Mary, you, you were on the piano and as is tradition i had to turn you down in my ears well you could market it and just say play like bradley with play half like the bradley. effort <laughs> there we go sold so don't put it past me oh that's uh, funny. remember I have, I have a printer now so i can do whatever i want you can you can <laughs> Just put my meme on the whatever the Vox pedal was that you got an order from. Just put my meme on Right, there. and then get another cease and desist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so this listener has, has said that I pronounce his name wrong, but he's never actually provided a uh, correction as to how we should pronounce his <laughs> name. So we're just going to roll with it. Farrakh Zindeli, who I believe is from Hungary? Hungry, Maybe awesome. Um, not fr- he ain't from Gaffney. <laughs> no, no. Uh, what's the best and what's the worst pedal I've ever made? Uh, oh man. Well, my I, at least my favorite one is the Osteen distortion. One, it's it's relatively fun to build, but two, it's my favorite tone. Like it's just huge. Mm. You know, 
the worst, I mean, in terms of workload, would probably be the version one Geneva amp sim. Like mm. that thing was a total monster to build, and mm. I actually kind of dreaded building them uh, <laughs> toward the end. Uh, thankfully, now that circuit is mostly surface mount components, and my workload on that is tremendously decreased. <laughs> Great. So. Uh, sorry to not include you on that one, Bradley. <laughs> no problem. Not a problem. Uh, last question, and this gets into some theological stuff. Austin Dobbs asks if dancing and corporate worship is appropriate. So funny. I had a conversation about this last night. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I think defining terms is helpful. Like, are we talking about someone dancing on the platform? Or are we talking about someone in the congregation who gets excited and does a little jig, right? Because <laughs> yeah. we actually we actually used to have a guy at church here who we all called Dancing Joe. <laughs> yes, we <laughs> because did. he just got into it and started doing a little shimmy all the yeah, time. And Joe Joe was at times distracting, but he wasn't. Uh, I, I didn't feel like he was over the top. Right, right. Most right. of the time. You know, we did have a lady here show up one time. Uh, she walked in the first Sunday she'd ever been to our church, <laughs> and she had a scarf in her purse yeah. that quickly turned into a flag that she waved in the back corner of the sanctuary. You know, nobody else is doing that. Right. And, and just, I was so confused because I could see her while I was playing guitar. It's like, what is happening right I'm now? like, just the brass to walk up in a church and go, I'm going to pull out my pocket flag and do some flag waving i thought was just impressive yeah so i had a little conversation with her and she's not been back but um, um which kind of gives away kind of your stance there yeah i bit. i don't i it, you know and I'm, I'm willing to let this be in the category of preference sure um i find no biblical reason to say that movement physical movement that looks like dancing and in as an expression of worship is mm-hmm. wrong. I find no biblical precedent right. for that. Um, what I do find biblical precedent for is people drawing attention to themselves in the corporate setting in a way that's detracting from our focus on God. Yeah. And I think in certain churches, someone deciding to break out in the aisle and go crazy isn't necessarily going to distract from what's going sure. on corporately. At res, it would. Right. Now, that's what what I was having a conversation about last night was uh, a, f- a few years ago, we did our Christmas service at a, a local community center here, mm-hmm. and we had some young girls in our church, all, you know, I think elementary age, uh, a mother or two in the church taught them a, a worshipful dance set to a song, mm-hmm. and they had on these beautiful white outfits and these little girls got up on the stage and as part of our Christmas service, they did what you might call somewhat of an interpretive kind of dance. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was so sweet and so worshipful. Uh, I loved seeing these little girls that, you know, many of whom I had dedicated as babies standing up there and worshiping the Lord through dance. And so I think that there are certainly some forms of dance and some some um, some things you can implement into a worship service that are God honoring that everybody everybody is going to be able to engage with, 
and everyone's attention can be on the Lord and um, and it can also be an opportunity for young people, you know, young children in the church to be involved in the service. I think there's merit in that. You know, being involved in the service and using gifts and talents and things that, you know, I, I don't, you know, if you, if I've got little girls in the church or, or even boys that, you know, are interested in dance, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're taking ballet or tap dancing or whatever. Um, I don't want them to think that those things are, there's never an appropriate place for that kind of creative expression right. in the context of the church. Mm-hmm. Right. Creative yeah. expression like dance, just like when you get up there with your flying V guitar and your <laughs> tattoos and, and back right. in the day, your lip ring and all that, you know, th- there's people. Heart. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there there should be room in the church for creative expression that's God honoring. And so I think dance in some cases could be that. Um, but I think every church has to flesh that out. Um, but I think sometimes there there are certainly people and context where what's going on is more about attention being drawn to me mm-hmm. and it's more indulgent than right. it is worshipful. Uh, the the first thing I thought of was regulative versus normative principles of worship. Regulative being more that, you know, God commands how he's to be worshiped, so you shouldn't do anything he doesn't command. That's right. Normative, uh, the normative principle says that if God doesn't ban it in worship, then it's fair game. Mm. And I tend more regulative, but listening to you talk about dance, it's like, well, David danced before the Lord. There's at least that. Mm -hmm. Uh and I'm sure there's something in the Psalms about dancing before the Lord somewhere. Mm-hmm. I just can't place it right now. Mm-hmm. So it it could be, like when you slow down, it could be that dance is a perfectly acceptable thing to do on in, in corporate Lord's Day worship. Well, Zephaniah, the Lord will quiet you with his love and rejoice over you with singing. And that Hebrew mm-hmm. word means to dance and spin. Mm, okay. So there there's a Bible verse that describes the Lord right dancing. Um I think I think art is a gift from God. And and music leads to dancing. It does. It like leads nece- to movement of nece- well not all forms obviously, yeah. but I tell people all the time, you know, when I go to when I went to school dances and what I can I I cannot dance. I, I it's just not my thing. Right there with you. But I would uh, just sort of find a spot and a, a little groove where I just sort of bob my head, right? Like right. it looks like you're about to break out and dance, but right. you never do, uh, and you don't look like an idiot. That's sort of my thing. <laughs> but there, there, it's movement, right? It's movement to the music, and you could call that some form of dancing, I guess. Um, so it's just expression, you know. Yep. yep. I'm I I like lifting my hands in worship. Mm-hmm. I like saying out loud, I do this at our church, out loud, amen. Right. Uh, praise the Lord. I, I, I love being expressive in worship, and I want to make room in our church for all types of expression that I feel like are going to contribute well to our body. Mm-hmm. A lady walking in with a pocket flag, isn't going to contribute to our body right. well. Exactly. Because that that typically is more associated with like a hyper charismatic kind yeah, of but, feel. But, but, like, but regardless of right, what it's associated right, right. with, 
in our church, our church has a feel. It has a rhythm, right? Right. right now, right, if right. you like, like for example, if you come to um, a family dinner at my parents' house, and you uh, you stroll up in there with a keg of beer, mm-hmm. that's going to be out of place in my family's home, right? Okay, it's it and again not that that's sinful, right? Not that that's bad. Not that that you know couldn't be a great fit in someone else's home mm-hmm. and someone else's but, family. But in your family, that's... in my family, that is out of place right. and would be awkward, and it would detract from what is most important. Right. What's most important is the sharing of food and laughter and joy and fellowship. So, in when the church gathers for worship, what's most important is that we honor God and we encourage and build up one another in the faith. Right. Uh, That's going to look a little bit different between Res Res has its own DNA. It has its own culture that is shaped by the personalities and and characteristics of the leaders and what God's doing here. And there are some things that fit really well here and are going to enhance, and there's some things that don't. And there's some things that all varieties of it Mm-hmm. Are going to be enhancing and and contributive to what we're doing in worship, and 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 some versions of the same thing won't be. Right. So there there is, I think, my point is, there is some types of worshipful dance that I think could, and it, again, it's not mm-hmm. normal for us. Right, I could probably count on one hand in sixteen years the times that some form of dance has been involved in worship here. Right. But there are there are certain types that I think could be, you know, helpful and good and mm-hmm. right and and uh at where everyone, regardless of your, you know, your 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 background in church, could go, yeah, that's good. Amen. It, it's really easy to kind of knee jerk on this on this yeah. question uh yeah. i think largely because we've seen it abused in different contexts yeah um but it's it's obviously it's one of those things that has to be open-handed yeah. it's not a primary issue right right yeah. so so even if even if you i'm not saying i think this but even if you just think it's dumb mm-hmm. <laughs> like okay get over it yeah <laughs> you know uh yeah. at, at the very least you yeah. know so well i play you know, I, I don't want to beat this horse to death over and over again, but I, I got I got asked to play piano one time years and years ago at a church, um, and it was when when as as I'm playing, I, you know, I'm, I'm given a list of songs and I show up for rehearsal and then I show up for Sunday morning, and it was normal in my church experience yep. that when someone in a transition moment of the service took the microphone. And we had finished a song that I would keep playing, background music. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, this was a, a fairly large Baptist church in northeast Georgia. And I this may be my second time playing. We finished the opening worship set. And the pastor of the church came up, took the microphone, and he was just I don't know, praying, leading a transition. We were moving on to, you know, maybe the sermon or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just kept playing. 
I, I didn't even think about it. I just kept that's playing. Just what that's you, just what I yeah. normally do, right? We do that here at Res. I just kept playing, kept playing, kept playing. Mm-hmm. And I remember the pastor looked at me and then went back to his mic and kept talking. And <laughs> the guy who, who was the worship leader is a friend of mine, mm-hmm. also looked at me. He grinned, and then he looked back at the pastor. And I'm I'm here playing, and I'm going, if I stop, this is going to be incredibly awkward. Right. Everybody's going to – because everybody saw him look at me, and the whole church – listen, this church was not used to that. Right. That seems like such a simple thing. Right. But they were so not used to that. Right. And I thought, oh, I've offended them. They're going to – you know, they were paying me. They're not going to bring me back. And – uh, but right. after and the, even like when I, when I first started coming to Res, I wasn't used to that. It, it, it was it different. It wasn't jarring, but yeah. I just wasn't used to it. Well, it, yeah, and in and, and this church, it was just something that had really never happened. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, after the service, the pastor wanted to talk to me, and I thought, I'm going to get raked over the coals. <laughs> and he brings me in, and he said, Bradley, that was so awesome. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, man, I do this all the time. I've probably played Bruce Hornsby during an altar call <laughs> here and there. Like I, I, I you know, I, I'm doing this all the time. And and but he's like, you because I think he was doing a prayer or some type of just pastoral exhortation in the moment on the heels of whatever it was we were singing about. And he said, You played what I was saying. And I'll never forget that. And I thought, man, dude, I'm just cording. You know, I'm yeah. I'm one, four, five, six minor and just hovering you around. Just stayed in that same key. Oh, dude, I've just I'm just doing what I do. But he felt he felt like it really contributed to what was happening in the moment in that mm-hmm. service. And so there's an example of where something new that was foreign contributed. Right. And, and I guess the point would be. Um, it's not wrong. It's good for a church to explore creative expression that maybe is not normative, but you have to have a, a sense of discernment as to what's going to help us worship and what might distract and hinder worship right. in this context. Right. Yep. Definitely. Uh, definitely something to. I'm not even talking to my mic because I'm fiddling with the mic cable. Here we go. Uh, definitely something to uh, to be. I don't know if open-minded, open-handed, like I already said, is probably the best word for yeah. it. Uh, don't freak out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Don't freak out. Just let it, just let it happen. Yeah. Don't freak out. It'll be okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's all our Inquisition questions. Uh, good discussion today. That was fun. Yeah, lots of fun. Um, so, yeah, hit me up, WestminsterEffects.com. Share and rate the show. Give us five stars as always. We don't care if it's honest. Just give us the five stars even if you hate it. And we'll see you next week.